Hey, welcome. I want to talk about something that actually I've, oh, I've been very hesitant to talk about. And yet I really want to talk about it because I have a very deep emotional response on this subject. And a trainer I respect highly, Chad Mackin, as a matter of fact, was talking about it with his group. And I happened to catch the conversation. And they were talking about pet parents and fur kids. And, and it, you know what? It might even be that I started the conversation because I saw somebody else that felt about it like I do. And they said, don't call yourself a pet parent. And they went on and, you know, said various things about that. And as a matter of fact, I tried to contact them to see about um, talking to them about this subject on a podcast. And, and maybe I'll be able to connect later and we'll do that. But anyway, in the meantime, other people saw this on my page and reacted to it. And they were kind of like, what's the big problem? Because you love them like their family. You're committed to them. You try to protect them and, you know, um, empower them and blah, blah, blah. And all of this is true. And I can definitely say that I know lots, I know and love many, many people that consider themselves pet parents and their horses and rhinos and yeah, are their fur kids, even if they don't have fur. And so shout out to um, Lynn Bukowski. I know that you are not condescending to your animals, but hear me out, please, because relationship is so important. And if we kind of gloss over some things, we can embed some limitations from the beginning that become harder and harder and harder to remove. So here is why I don't like this. I understand, yes, you care beyond like all the way to love. I understand, yes, they are extended family. I mean, even like Lynn and I have made agreements that if anything happened, to me um, and Dave, our horses would go to Lynn. And if something happened to Lynn, we are willing to take Lynn's horses, although we'd have to move <laughs> anyway. So yes to the care beyond like, yes to the extended family, no to the kids and parents. And here's why. I have been working with animals for close to 50 years now. I don't mean I've spent 50 years around animals. I mean, I've been working as a professional animal trainer and manager for almost 50 years. And I have seen such frustration from animals that are hungry to be seen as sentient 
intelligent, sovereign adults. I have seen horses that could not stand to be conscious for their own lives. Horses that were so disconnected from people that when I went in with them, with let's say carrots or apples, they would not even see me. I had to work and work and work to get them to come out of wherever they had gone in their dissociation. And I started talking to them. I started explaining who I was and what we were doing and what was around us, what was going on, how it was going to affect them. And I saw these horses come back to the present. I saw these horses connect with me directly. And we got some amazing things done, kind of like different situation. Jordy the Rhino was not disconnected from his people, but he was disconnected from training and from the idea of allowing people to treat his abscess. And yet in a matter of a fraction of an hour, we were able to flush his abscess with air and with a little bit of water, and he was ready to progress to the betadine and water step. They hadn't been able to accomplish this in eight months. But then you know what happens? I leave. I go back to my life, and the horse that could not stand being in his own life is now awakened at least for a moment and back in the situation by himself that he cannot abide. And I will tell you, I have seen numerous horse jobs where they just seemed really nice, pampered, appreciated, uh, a lot of um, horse therapy programs. And sometimes I see very, very stressed horses. And I really can't understand why. Yeah, the work is not oppressive as far as, you know, the physicality of it. The treatment is outstanding, but there is something more going on. And I don't really know what it is. Could it be that the horse feels like he's being treated like a device? Like I was at a top dressage barn in California. It was beautiful. It was up in the, you know, kind of, I'll call them foothills, but really they were small mountains. You could look down on the ocean. You could look down on the oak forests. They had brass finials and bow marble things. And I saw two dressage riders approach one another. You know, they were passing in opposite directions. And they wanted to talk for a minute. So they just stopped their horses 
And they sat there motionless talking for at least half an hour. And I just thought, you know, because I'm very physical in my work and I have hours and hours of heavy labor and difficult condition. And one of the hardest things is to hold a weight in one position, like for a horse to have you on his back, on a saddle and not be able to move because it's through movement and dynamic equilibrium that the soreness and injuries are circumvented. So asking a horse to stand still for half an hour with you on his back is just, I couldn't believe it. And these people didn't mean to do anything wrong. But I was just reaching out to those horses like, you know, gosh, I see you there. And I hope you can make it through this and so on and so forth. That people, it didn't occur to them that this living being that they were on would be in distress from this. But this is the thing. We tend to underestimate animals, to think that they're not capable of knowing and understanding, of thinking and feeling. I don't know what they're teaching people now, but when I was coming up, we were told very absolutely that animals had no ability, no consciousness of future or past. They lived in the moment. They couldn't remember I don't know why people would ever believe that because if an animal couldn't remember, how could you ever train it to do anything? That requires memory. And if you did it yesterday, it means they have to remember yesterday. And what we know is that we can tell an animal what we will do tomorrow. And a lot of times the animal will act as if he's trained, you know, as if he already has experience doing that thing that all he ever got about it was a, an explanation and a description. They certainly have incredible memories. If animals didn't have a sense of the future, why would squirrels bury nuts? Why would jays hide things to eat later? That doesn't make sense. Why would deer uh, migrate? Yeah, they, they have extensive abilities. Now, here's the next thing. Consider your true kids. Consider your true human kids or children. As they become adults, do they want to be treated like kids? For many people, as they approach adulthood, there is a big shakedown because the young up-and-coming adult does not want to be seen as a child any longer. Now, it's true they don't have any experience yet. They don't have any um, history. You know, they're brand new at this thing of adulting. But if you don't honor the fact that they are now in a position to make their own decisions, that they are adults, that 
they are not children. Uh, one of the things that really worries me about people seeing animals as their children is that everybody loves a baby. You know, a baby is a source of beautiful energy and you get to hold that energy and reflect on it and bask in it and love it and enjoy it. But also that's that child's energy to grow with and live with and everything else. And these children quickly show that they are their own beings. Their individual personalities were well-formed before they ever were even born. And as we know, when they approach adulthood, they make sure that we no longer see them as children. And people are bereft. I have talked to many parents that talk about um, they wish their children didn't have to leave. They love their children. They love having them at home. It's a happy situation. Why can't it go on that way? But it simply can't because they need to go. The children need to go out and form their own households. So that leads us to the urge to constantly have that young moldable being in your life, that being that wants to just be where you are, that wants to agree with you, that wants to do what you want to do, that hangs on your approval. The perpetual youngster. And that being doesn't exist. Everybody grows up. Now think about it in another context. My mother has come to live with me. I love my mother. I don't just like her. I love her very much. She's definitely my extended family. I definitely have a commitment to protect and provide uh, for her. I guarantee you, she does not want to be seen as my kid, fur or otherwise. In fact, our early conflicts, which we've, you know, worked out at this point very well, but um, she would say things like, I'm the mother and you need to treat me a certain way or respect me a certain way and so on and so forth. Yeah, she was caught in this time warp of what it had been like to live with me and, and we weren't in that time anymore. It couldn't be that way. But neither does she want me to see her as the child. She wants me to see her as an intelligent, important adult. Same thing with your boss. If you were caring for your boss, would he want to be your fur kid? I don't think so. Your colleagues. So where that leaves us is that inadvertently even, inadvertently, but nonetheless, when you think of animals as fur kids, you're robbing them of their adult sovereignty. So what is sovereignty? Sovereignty is the ownership of the body and the life, the right to choose 
what is done with that body and that life, the right to be in the decision process for those things. And this is something I recognized a long time ago when I started with exotic animals. Exotic animals, no matter how dangerous they might be, no matter how big and fierce, they are, like us, emotionally fragile. And you can destroy them by diminishing them, by treating them condescendingly, by dismissing them. But if you bring them to the conversation, explain everything, get their buy-in, get their permission, um, give them choices everywhere you can, you're going to see huge changes. And I think you're also going to see huge lifespans. And so you hear this from me all the time. I'm going to say it again. My sea lions had a 30 year, uh, 20 year expected lifespan. And the two that I worked with directly lived to be 27. And I think Maureen lived to be 30 or 31. It's 50% longer. Gray seals expected lifespan of 30 years. Longevity for a male was 33 Gunar lived to be 38. Hoorah, Gunar. Selkie broke all longevity records at 43 years. King died just short of his 16th birthday. Duncan died just short of his 13th birthday. Tish died. She had an expected lifespan of 20 to 23 years. She lived to be 32. Crystal, same thing, also lived to be 32. Sarah is currently 32 and a half years old. And she is hanging in there. So I'm not saying, I definitely know you don't intend to do anything wrong. And I definitely understand your points. And I'm arguing a finer point. Because over the years... Over the encounters, over time, it matters. We need to recognize these animals are people too. That's a complicated one. We'll go into more later because I actually am not arguing for animals to be seen as independent beings in the court system, but that's another day. But I am arguing for us to recognize that these are intelligent adults, well capable of a lot of the thought processes and decisions and realizations that we expect from other human adults. Thank you for your patience in listening to me on this. If you consider yourself a pet parent, maybe just graduate and become a, an animal empower, an animal guide, an animal ally. You can still love each other. You can still have that commitment. You can still be family, but it's even across. Thank you for thinking about that. You all take care. I hope to see you soon.